0: Welcome to the Real Truth Matters Podcast. I'm Dan Harder, your host. The RTM Podcast is all about showing you how to live in biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect. And now, here's Real Truth Matters founder and director, Michael Durham. Thanks, Dan. In our
1: last episode, I said we would continue to get into the principles of maintaining fellowship with God. However, after prayer and meditation on preparing for this episode, I believe I need to temporarily suspend discussing maintaining fellowship and address just how to have fellowship with the God of all creation. The reason I had not planned to do this is because, well, I had dealt with the subject early in season one, but as I reviewed that material, it was apparent to me that I could go deeper into the subject. I really want you to know and have fellowship with God because you can't maintain something you don't presently experience. Jesus addressed a very messed up church, a church you would wonder if anyone could possibly be saved after reading Jesus' description. It was the church at Laodicea, and our Lord's words to the church are recorded in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. Here are the problems that Christ points out to John as the apostle is writing his epistle and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write. These things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Well, there you have it. Not a flattering picture, is it? I mean, how would you like it if the pastor got up this coming Lord's Day and said similar things about you and your church? But this was not coming from the pastor. It was the Lord Jesus' Christ analysis of the church. Now, do you see what I meant when I said, you wonder if there were any true Christians in the Laodicean church? And yet, because of what Jesus says next, we know they were Christians. He said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Now, this could never be said if they were totally an apostate church. He says, he only chastens those whom he loves. And according to the writer of Hebrews, the Lord only chastens sons. He says, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 and 8. The Laodicean church was a true church of the Lord Jesus Christ, but they were terribly backslidden and far from loving fellowship with God as you could be and still a true believer. But what is remarkable is the following words of Christ. Even though the church was so miserably rotten, for no rod is pleasant, The Lord Jesus desires their fellowship. He with pleading voice says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus is not holding before the wanton and wayward believers simple forgiveness and restoration in order to become a fruitful church again, although that would be a result of their repentance. No. The things he holds before them as the great potential is fellowship with him. I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. That's the language of communion, companionship. And intimacy. The Lord wanted closeness with these self important and self willed people, just the kind of people you want to have a cozy meal with, right? No, and yet Jesus desired this. Now, if the Lord wanted fellowship with such a good for nothing and unprofitable church who, in their present condition, he'd spew out of his mouth, how can we think he would not desire fellowship with us? To put it plainly, Our God loves us to the degree that he wants us to be conscious of him so that we can interact with him and be carried up in holy delight of God. But that leads to the question, how can you fellowship with God whom we cannot see nor hear? And it's a worthy question and therefore worth our time to answer. The apostle Peter gives us a good lead in his first epistle, chapter 1, verse 8, Whom, that is Christ, whom, having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Peter states the obvious and addresses that which seems to us to be a problem the inability of sight and hearing, the incapacity to see and hear God. He says, even though you do not see him, you believe. You believe to the very point that you can rejoice with a joy that cannot be fully expressed and with a glory that's not minimal. What Peter is establishing is that our fellowship with God is a spiritual fellowship. Spirit fellowship is fellowship based upon life in and by the Holy Spirit, and this has always been the aim of our God. The whole of Scripture, from beginning to end, has one major and ultimate theme, the coming together of God and man on the basis of spiritual kinship and fellowship. Notice, man begins in a garden where he and the Lord walk together in a luscious paradise where there was the tree of life. And the Bible ends with God proclaiming that he will dwell with his people and they with he in the paradise of heaven, where the tree of life is rooted. John records in Revelation 21, verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God Himself." will be with them and be their God. It has always been the intent of God to have His people in proximity to Him, that they may enjoy His presence and He delight in theirs. The testimony of Scripture is that such fellowship is available right now and we need not wait for heaven to experience it. As I stated in an earlier episode, This is real biblical Christianity. This is the totality of the Christian life, intimate connection with the God who made us. It's this that creates the panting spirit, the thirsty soul, the heart's holy ache. Such longing is the ultimate quest of the child of God to draw even nearer to his heavenly Father. The great hymn writer Fanny Crosby put the soul's mission Into words, I am thine, O Lord, I have heard thy voice, and it told thy love to me. But I long to rise in the arms of faith and be closer drawn to thee. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. That's the longing of every true child of God, to know God more intimately, to draw closer to Him. Many of the distinctives of Christianity can be imitated and counterfeited. A person can learn to speak the language of the faith and adapt to the routines and mannerisms of Christians. The religious laws can be Very convincing, even appearing to manifest some of the fruit of the Spirit. But there is one thing a false convert cannot convincingly reproduce, and that is this passionate pursuit to draw nearer to God. They cannot create it or manufacture it. Either one has it by the work of God, or they don't possess it at all. There's no making one's soul to ache with holy discontentment and long for more acquaintance with the divine. It just cannot be done. It's instilled in the heart by the Spirit of God. This, my friend, is what salvation is really all about. It is the very call of salvation. The salvation call to come to Christ does, yes, include being forgiven of your sins Your debt with God must be paid if you're to have relationship with Him. That's very true indeed. However, the retiring of your sin debt in Christ is for the purpose that you may now have fellowship with the God against whom you rebelled. The call of salvation is a call to fellowship and interaction with God. In Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, the apostle states this very plainly. He says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You could say the call to salvation is a call through salvation to the real prize, God Himself. It's through being delivered of sin we can now know God. Now, I think it would be helpful if we tried to define what this fellowship really is and in so doing make it more discernible, meaning that you'll be able to recognize it for what it is once you really know and understand it. Fellowship with God is the acknowledgement of God's presence and interaction with Him because you are united with Him and to Him in a common purpose. When a group of Christians gather, they interact with each other over the things they hold in common. We say they have fellowship. In other words, they have something they hold in common which binds them together. Otherwise, the gathering's no more than a social event with superficial interaction. There's nothing that causes them to unite on a deeper level. Let me illustrate this. J.R.R. Tolkien's famous novel, The Lord of the Rings, begins with a first volume titled, The Fellowship of the Ring. Nine individuals form a partnership to ensure that the ring of power is destroyed in the fires from which it was forged. The solidarity of the nine was called a fellowship. Why? Because the mission knitted them together in a common purpose— it is this united determination that bound them and gave reason for them to interact with each other on a deeper level than casual. They shared something that no other nine persons shared. Fellowship with God is to be united to Him, sharing with Him something that binds us together. What is that something that we hold in common with the Almighty? It is that we both love and esteem His Son. It's the bond of Christ in the Spirit. The Apostle John declares in John chapter 3, verse 35 and 36, quoting John the Baptist, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The key is loving the Son and believing in Him as the Father does. In John chapter 5, verse 23, Jesus Himself says that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Then later, the Lord says that because they do not honor Him, the love of God was not in them, implying that if you do not honor the Son— then God's love can't be in you because God both loves and honors His Son. John 5, 42, Jesus says, But I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. One more text to prove that the thing that we have in common with God and it is the basis of our fellowship is the Lord Jesus Christ and our love for Him is found in the first epistle of John chapter 5, verses 9-12. through 12. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, John is saying God has given testimony. He's given testimony to the worth and the excellency of His Son, Jesus. He has stated that eternal life is in the Son, and if you embrace the Son, you embrace the life. If you embrace the Son and have eternal life, it's because you believe the testimony of God. And those who believe God's testimony are one with Him. They have this in common with God, that they too believe the worth and the excellency of Christ, and because of it, they love him. Let's continue and state that fellowship with God has two aspects. You can have fellowship with God on two different levels. The first aspect is not discernible by conscious awareness. There is true fellowship with the Lord. That's not felt, nor is it experiential. It is simply placing the greatest value on Christ as God does. It's to be in agreement with God, or as John puts it, walking in the light as He is in the light. It's to hold at the core of your person this same appreciation of the Lord Jesus. It's to have this in common with God. You don't have to feel it to have it in common. You need not experience some ecstasy to have this agreement, this union or sameness with God, and it is true fellowship because it's a real union of hearts. The second aspect of fellowship with God is a felt fellowship. It is something you are aware of, conscious of. It is the acknowledgment of His presence, a real and living exchange with God as i discussed earlier when the saints actively commune with each other there's a sharing of heart on a deeper level it's to delight in what is held in common with each other this same sense of community is experience between the lord and the christian it's to know by faith that you are in the presence of god and your soul delights in his presence this experience happens on the level of the spirit By faith, you believe His reality as you would the reality of any person you were with. And as a result of being in someone's presence, there's some kind of communication. Thus, fellowship with God is the communing of hearts, the intimacy of love exchanged between God and the believer. And this is a conscious awareness. You know it. How do you enter into this kind of fellowship with God? Well, that's something we'll discuss in our next episode. It is a conscious act of your spirit where you commune with God, spirit to spirit. I hope that this slight digression and further explanation of what fellowship with God is has been a help to you. There's nothing in this world to compare to spiritual communion with God. And when the unending age of glory comes, that same fellowship will increase and intensify to be both spiritual and physical. Well, thank you for joining us today here on the RTM podcast. I'm very grateful for the privilege you give me to be able to share with you what the Lord has been so kind to share with me. And if you have any questions about today's podcast— Please send your questions by email to our email address. That address is web at realtruthmatters.com. Again, that's web at realtruthmatters.com. Take a few moments and browse our website, realtruthmatters.com, where you will find helpful resources, sermons, articles, a digital magazine, and other helps to discover where the Bible and real life intersect. On behalf of all of us here at Real Truth Matters, thank you for listening. And may the Lord bless you with His love in a real and tangible way.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Truth Matters podcast. I hope you can see that Christianity is profoundly experiential, but always based on the objective truth of Scripture. If you have questions or comments, please send them to our email address, web at realtruthmatters.com. That's web at RealtruthMatters.com. Real Truth Matters podcast, dedicated to biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect.